Hello everyone and welcome back to SciSection. I'm Halima, your journalist for this week, and today we are delighted to have Dr. Jacqueline French. Dr. French is a professor of neurology at the NYU Lagan School of Medicine, founder and director of the Epilepsy Study Consortium, and the chief scientific officer of the Epilepsy Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. So a large portion of your career has been dedicated to researching therapeutics for epilepsy. Before we delve into that, what drew you to medicine and subsequently the field of neurology? Well, I always felt uh, that the body was a fascinating thing and, and obviously having a career where you can help people uh, along the way is fabulous. Um, I actually, interestingly enough, had uh, two parents who were both physicians who both encouraged me not to go into medicine, but they couldn't discourage me. And as far as going into neurology, uh, I, you know, I kind of see the world that, you know, the rest of the body is basically there to keep the brain going because the brain is what makes us who we are. You can replace the heart. You can replace somebody's lungs with somebody else's lungs. You can replace the liver. But if you replace the brain, then the person is not that person anymore. So therefore, the brain is what makes us us. And since the brain is such an amazing organ, obviously, what fact about the human brain do you think is the most interesting or shocking that people may not know? Well, you know, it, it's very interesting. When my kids were little, they had a, a science teacher that said you only use 10% of your brain, uh, which seems to be a fact that runs around a lot. But uh, I'm here to tell you that you need, you know, all the different parts of your brain to do the things that we do. Um, and it is amazing that, you know, different parts of the brain as we study them have such unique and interesting features. And we're still learning an enormous amount about the brain. And uh, in my career, I have also learned a lot about the brain just by listening to people describe their seizures. And seizures are just an electrical excitement of different parts of the brain. Uh, and when that part of the brain gets excited, you can see exactly what that part of the brain does. And sometimes those uh, experiences that people have, like a feeling of profundity. And speaking of seizures, how did epilepsy become your passion area? Epilepsy is, a, first of all, if, you, if you're fascinated by the brain, as I just mentioned, uh, you have to be fascinated by epilepsy because it gives us such a window into the, to the living brain, you know, as people are walking around and, and talking and uh, being who they are. But on top of being so fascinating in regards to listening to what happens to people during a seizure, uh, the, the wonderful thing about being a doctor who takes care of people with epilepsy is that you have an enormous impact on their lives and you have a capability which is unlike other areas of neurology where you can actually take someone who is severely disabled by their disease and give them the proper treatment and return them to completely normal function. So that is a fascinating and wonderful thing. And in addition, I really enjoy the fact that I have long-term relationships with my patients and some of them I've actually been taking care of for 30 years. So I've seen them go from, in some cases, children to adolescents to adults who have their own families 
and that has been a very rewarding part of my career as well. So we've kind of spoken about epilepsy um, and seizures and how you're able to have this long-term relationship with your patients and oftentimes how epilepsy can really um, hijack a large portion of a person's life. So since that's going to be a large part of our conversation today, it would be great if you could discuss really what is epilepsy, how does it manifest in patients, and how do physicians go about diagnosing it and treating it? Epilepsy is the condition where people can have seizures. So it means that the brain is in a state where it is uh, too excitable and too electrically excitable. And a seizure is basically an electrical storm in the brain. Lots of different things can cause one single seizure. For example, if you don't have enough oxygen to your brain or if you don't have enough uh, glucose or sugar in your brain, that can cause a single seizure. But epilepsy is the disease where the brain is hyperexcitable and a seizure can happen at any time. And that is the very problematic thing for people with epilepsy and seizures is the unpredictability. You may be fine one minute and then the next minute you're having a seizure, you may be behaving unusually or you may even fall down to the ground and be shaking all over. Your, your life may be at risk because you were swimming and now you're you know, about to drown. So it's the unpredictability of when that seizure will occur that makes people's lives so very complicated when the seizures are not controlled. But fortunately, uh, we can control those seizures about two-thirds of the time very easily with the standard medications that we have. And my career has really been to try and find treatments for those other one-third of people who can't be controlled by the medicines that are currently available, trying to find new medicines and new treatments, and also to make sure that the two-thirds of people who can be controlled have the best possible quality of life, that their medicines are not uh, slowing them down or preventing them from doing the things that they want to do. Because in fact, if you have epilepsy, you may need to be on medication for many, many years. So that medication therefore should be something that's very well tolerated, doesn't cause you harm, doesn't make you at risk for different kinds of problems. And so there are medications that do exist. And obviously the field is kind of continuously expanding and finding treatments for epilepsy. How has the diagnosis and treatment of epilepsy kind of evolved over time? It has evolved, but maybe not as much as we would like it to. So the medications that we use to treat epilepsy, some of them have been around for 50 years uh, and we're still using them. Some of them are somewhat newer and a little gentler on the body, fortunately. And that is one thing that has evolved over time. But unfortunately, all of the medicines that we currently use, we call anti-seizure medicines because all they do is suppress the symptom, and the symptom is the seizure. They don't treat the epilepsy underlying, so they don't treat the brain's uh, fundamental hyperexcitability. And that means that if you stop the medication, the seizures will return in many cases. We're looking for new therapies that actually treat the epilepsy and treating the underlying disease, and hopefully that will happen in my lifetime, and that's a very exciting thing. In addition to medication, we also use other things to uh, get seizures under control. If we can find the area that's hyperexcitable in somebody, we can uh, 
sometimes remove that area with a surgery and return somebody to a seizure-free state. Uh, and we also use uh, stimulation devices. We use dietary therapy. So we have lots of things, you know, lots of, lots of arrows in our quiver to try and get people's seizures under control. And, you know, it's very important for somebody with epilepsy to not give up on trying to find things that control their seizures because uh, there are many options and opportunities. And like other diseases that can kind of manifest differently depending on the patient, how can epilepsy differ between patients depending on the form of epilepsy that they have, um, maybe where they live, that sort of thing? Well, I, you know, I want to say something really important, and that is that people think that epilepsy is only one thing, which is what I call the television seizure, which is the seizure where people fall down and they shake all over, they lose consciousness and they foam at the mouth. But that in fact is not the most common type of seizure. That is a seizure called a tonic-clonic seizure, but that is not the most common type of seizure. The most common type of seizure is a focal seizure um, which uh, is coming from a small area of the brain, and I kind of alluded to that before, that the seizure will take on the characteristics of that particular part of the brain. So if that's the part of the brain that, that produces emotion, then you may have an emotion at the time of that seizure. If that seizure um, uh, is the area that makes your, your right hand move, for example, then you'll have uh, right hand movements during the seizure. And the seizure itself can be subtle. Uh, and a lot of times people don't even know they're having seizures until they have a bigger seizure, a bigger motor seizure. And we, you know, we use the uh, phrase SSSSS, which stands for short, sudden, strange, similar spells. Um, and often people are having short, sudden, strange, similar spells, like a, a sudden feeling of panic that comes out of nowhere, or a sudden dreamlike state, or a deja vu um, that uh, actually is a seizure, and it just keeps recurring, and people don't know why it's happening, and they don't know that they need to seek medical care for it. So seizures can really manifest in every way that you know, whatever function the brain can have. It can be something visual, it can be something you smell, it can be a sensation, can be an emotion, um, can be a dream of some sort, uh, and people need to know that. That is incredibly fascinating, and I think I definitely subscribe to the TV version of epilepsy, um, and so I had no idea that it really can manifest so differently and can hijack certain areas of the brain. Um, how can patients with epilepsy be impacted socially in terms of everything from, as you mentioned before, their ability to go out swimming with family or their ability to drive or their ability to work in certain fields? Unfortunately, the very first thing I have to say is that there is a lot of stigma attached to epilepsy, and that's been through, uh, true throughout history. We know that, you know, even back in the Middle Ages, people were, you know, thought to be possessed by the devil when they have a seizure. And that is because, again, depending on the type of the, the, the area of the brain that the seizure is hijacking, as you said, uh, the, the, the person can behave not like themselves and can behave very strangely. And that's scary to people when they're watching it. And even if it's a, a convulsive seizure, that looks horrible and scary to people. And people, when they think about epilepsy, they think somebody 
has a mental disorder or they're deranged and they really don't understand. So there is a lot of stigma and a lot of people stay in the shadows. They don't want to reveal that they have seizures or epilepsy. And sometimes, you know, we hear about famous people who have epilepsy because they had a seizure that was witnessed and everybody's very surprised, even though that person may have had epilepsy for a very long time and, and has hidden it well. Um, and as you said, there are many other things that people have to be careful about depending on what kind of seizures they have. Um, if they have, not everybody has seizures where they lose awareness, but if they do have, then they cannot drive a car. Uh, and, and they may even not go just down the street to the drugstore because if they have a seizure while they're walking down there and they become uh, incapacitated, you know, they may not have somebody there to help them or they may fall down and they may hurt themselves. So there may be severe restrictions depending on how often the seizures occur and how severe they are and whether there is loss of awareness. We tell people not to swim alone, of course, um, but people have to be careful even in their own houses because um, I don't know if it uh, made it up to you, but uh, a former football player in the United States um, who had epilepsy, which happened after a car accident, recently passed away. And it's said that he passed away in the shower. And, and there are a number of people uh, reasons why people, unfortunately, can pass away from a seizure, although it's still uncommon, fortunately. But one of the ways is that they are in a bath or a shower and they have a seizure and they fall down and cover the drain and the uh, water fills up and they actually drown. So you don't only drown when you're swimming in the ocean or swimming in a pool, you can actually drown in a bath or a shower. So people do have to be careful, um, some more than others, depending on the way the seizures manifest. Uh, and again, the unpredictability uh, is very problematic. And, uh, you know, the very last thing, not to be overly scary, but everybody with seizures has a very small chance of death from something called sudden unexplained death in epilepsy or SUDEP, which is usually associated with the big convulsive seizures. Uh, and, and in SUDEP, after the seizure passes, the person stops breathing and doesn't start breathing again and they pass away. And often that happens when people are in bed asleep and nobody is around. Uh, so often uh, family members do feel like they have to keep very close eyes on people with epilepsy to make sure that they're safe. That definitely is very unfortunate and a very common in the news. You do hear uh, major celebrities who have had epilepsy do unfortunately pass away because no one is there when they're having a seizure. And so like you, as, as you mentioned before, things like drowning or maybe they're sleeping and no one's there to kind of help them. But hopefully as we have more of these conversations about epilepsy, a lot of the stigmas that you were talking about can be alleviated and we can further invest um, in this research. And now kind of moving into present day, um, obviously with the COVID-19 pandemic, amid the ongoing pandemic, research about the relationship between epilepsy and COVID-19 has become more common. And so kind of a follow-up to that, are patients with epilepsy more susceptible to worsen outcomes when it comes to COVID-19? And even can COVID worsen a patient's epilepsy? A very good question. And uh, I actually got together with a number of my international colleagues to write about this. The, you know, the risks of the pandemic to people with epilepsy is mostly that they are isolated. They're already isolated by their disease and they may become more isolated. 
They may have difficulty accessing their medication because they don't want to come out of the house. Um, they may, if they get confused after a seizure, pull their mask off um, in public, and that could put them at risk. But they are no, uh, at no greater risk of getting severe COVID than anybody else. So uh, there is no relationship between having epilepsy and having severe COVID. There are rare cases where people have reported that their you know, seizures got worse, mostly because they had a fever and fever can worsen seizure or illness can worsen seizures. Or uh, after a vaccination, people very rarely report that they have a seizure, uh, but that is, that is uncommon. And when you look across, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, they, they actually do surprisingly well, um, even when they do contract COVID. And we do recommend that everybody with epilepsy get a vaccine, get a booster, just like everyone else. Exactly. Make sure to get your vaccine, everybody. We definitely need to get this pandemic over with. And just lastly, for over two decades, you have worked with the Epilepsy Foundation in a variety of leadership roles. So why do you think it's important to invest in epilepsy research? We are so far away from being where we want to be. Uh, and We're so far away and so close, I should say. Um, we've been working a long time to develop new therapies, and we really are getting very close, as I said, to developing therapies that actually treat the underlying epilepsy, uh, as well as treating the seizures better than where we are now. And we also are very close, for example, to having devices that can forecast when people are having seizures. As I said before, one of the worst things about having epilepsy is how unpredictable it is. And imagine how much better it would be if people could plan and predict, even if we couldn't control their seizures. And we're very close to that. So it's so exciting to work in a field where we are making such great strides, but we need the resources to do it. So everybody should support the Epilepsy Foundation, dedicated to new therapies, new diagnostics, uh, and a better life for people with epilepsy. And on that note, thank you so much, Dr. French, for joining us today to discuss your work, um, epilepsy and its relationship to COVID-19. Be sure to check out the Epilepsy Foundation Foundation website at epilepsy.com to learn more about it and how to get involved and donate. Thank you so much for joining us.